Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. While the history and tradition of combat sport and mixed martial arts can be traced back almost 3,000 years, the UFC started in 1993 with a goal to answer the question, which martial art is truly the most effective in combat? Now, early day UFC had very few rules, no weight classes, and couldn't even get coverage on pay-per-view TV. As it turns out, the UFC one tournament was won by Royce Gracie, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. Then, in 2001, along came Dana White and his business partners, who bought the struggling company for $2 million US dollars. Since then, UFC has revolutionized the fight business and today stands as the world's premier mixed martial arts promotion and premium global sports brand, media content company, and the largest pay-per-view event provider in the world. Headquartered in Las Vegas with a network of employees right around the world, UFC produces more than 40 live events annually featuring a massive global roster of talent from almost 80 countries and consistently selling out some of the most prestigious arenas around the globe. UFC programming is broadcast in over 165 countries and territories via more than 60 global broadcast partners to more than 1.1 billion TV households worldwide and it does so in over 40 different languages. UFC has the highest concentration of millennials, so those aged 18 to 34, in its fan base with 54% compared to other top sports properties. And just a few weeks ago, UFC 293 was held in Sydney at Kudos Bank Arena with a sellout crowd of just over 18,000 fans for a gate of 10.7 million Australian dollars, which is just shy of 7 million US dollars. It is the highest gate for any indoor arena event in Australia. So clearly UFC is a behemoth, and to take us inside sponsorship at UFC is Nick Smith, Vice President, Global Partnerships. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 126 brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for listening to another episode, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever your involvement is in the sponsorship industry, I hope you're doing well. And it's shout-out time, and this time around, I have two. The first is Mike Cocken, Marketing and Sponsorships Manager at Enduro Events in New Zealand, who connected and wrote, I'm relatively new to sponsorship, having come from a marketing background. Listening to the series is helping me get into a good headspace for tackling the week. And I love the tagline on Mike's LinkedIn profile. It reads, sponsorship that slaps, not slapping logos on things. I totally love that, Mike. So thanks for connecting and glad the show helps you get set up for your weeks. The second is Jack Gillibrand, corporate sales manager at Melbourne Victory Football, who connected on LinkedIn to let me know he's enjoying the show. So thanks and good luck for the upcoming season, Jack. Throughout the years, UFC has consistently strived for the highest levels of safety and quality in all aspects of the sport. The organisation has sought to break down gender stereotypes and also set new standards for athlete health and wellness and was actually the first combat sports organisation to provide its athletes with accident insurance coverage for training-related injuries. In December 2015, UFC broke ground on a new global corporate campus in Las Vegas, which includes a world-leading UFC performance institute, which is focused on delivering the world's best MMA training facilities to support the scientific development of athletes and, of course, coaches, but also looking at injury prevention, recovery treatment, and, of course, rehabilitation of professional athletes. The organization has also operated a performance institute in Shanghai since late 2019, 
and excitingly will open the doors to its latest facility in Mexico City before the end of this year. In August 2016, UFC was acquired by global sports, entertainment and fashion leader Endeavour, together with strategic partners Silver Lake Partners and KKR, making history as the largest ever financial acquisition of a sports property. Endeavour wholly acquired UFC in 2022 while taking the organisation public. However, as many of you have probably seen, Endeavour recently completed the acquisition of the global leader in sports entertainment, WWE, and announced a new public organisation that will hold both UFC and WWE, aptly called TKO. So, exciting times ahead for the organisations. And to take us inside sponsorship at UFC is Nick Smith, Vice President, Global Partnerships. Here's Nick. Nick, great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to going inside sponsorship at UFC. We always start the podcast with a few icebreaker questions. Just have a little bit of fun, just for a bit of a way for people to get to know you a little bit and, and to ease into the conversation. Your first icebreaker question, nice easy one. We ask people uh, this question a lot. What was your first ever job? This is a twofold question. My first actual full-time job was a football player, played for the Melbourne Demons. But look, that was an illustrious all-game career. I won't go into too much detail, but we can talk about that later on. But my first official job was working in a steel metal fabrication shed in uh, the mid-north of South Australia. My dad, in the school holidays from uh, from boarding school, wanted me to realise what hard work really was. So teed me up a job where I was basically cutting steel, sweeping the floor of a derelict shed in the middle of the country. So uh, great lesson, lesson well learned. I never went back to that, obviously, but that was my first official job. Excellent. Haven't had that answer before, or even I don't think anything like it. So moving on, your second icebreaker question is, what's a fictional family you would love to be a member of and why? This could be a, a victim of recency bias, but I would say Yellowstone as part of the Dutton family. Uh, I recently got right into into the series, not only Yellowstone, but the, the prequels, I think 1883 and 1983. Um but just love the simplicity of it. And obviously having grown up in, in the country, you know, family on the ranch, defending the land, herding cattle, <laughs> it just seems so simple compared to uh, to how complex and fast-paced life is, is these days. But yes, my answer would be Yellowstone. I'm not going to say that I'd be John Dutton, um, but on the land, living a simple life as part of the, uh, the Dutton family in Yellowstone. All right, well, let's move on to the serious stuff, the fast-paced and, and complex life that you have now at UFC. Set the scene for us, help us understand a little bit, provide a backdrop for the conversation before we move on. Give us an outline, wrap some numbers around the whole thing with viewers and audiences and engagement and social media and all that sort of stuff for the UFC. Very short history lesson. You know, we're, we're a sport and brand that's only been around for 30 years, which was pretty um, it's pretty unbelievable when you look at you know most other sports like the AFL back in Australia the NRL all the major sports around the world that are 100 years plus we are we're only 30 years old and in that 30 short years um we've literally gone from nothing to one of the fastest growing sports in the world 700 million fans all around the world an average audience uh, of some of our events upwards of 25 million uh people over 288 million social media followers, highly engaged, young audience. 
um, over 600 athletes represented from all over the world. And, you know, obviously pertinent to this discussion, a whole host of global and regional um, partners that are helping us grow this to, to what it is today. Well, great segue into my next question, because in the same vein, give us a rundown of your sponsorship portfolio. Who's involved in it? When you look at our sport, um, and I could break out you know, some of the numbers with our different fan bases around the world, but you know, obviously the US is where we originated. That's the most mainstream. We're one of the top four sports in the US now. We're on ESPN. Um, it's a huge market for us, but where we've seen a lot of growth is internationally. You know, we're seeing 10, 20% growth across all metrics around the world in our international markets. Now, as it relates to our, our partners, we have a whole host of global partners, right, that can really leverage not only our US presence, uh, but can activate all over the world. They are the likes of Monster Energy, uh, who've been with us for a very long time, since 2015. Prime Hydration is one that we've just signed, and I'm sure you've seen what those guys are doing all over the world, have been have burst onto the scene and, and have been a great partner activating our brand. Crypto.com, I know those guys have, have some deals locally in, in Australia, but they've been another huge one for us globally. And then I go down the line, Toyo Tires, Netflix, Manscaped, Amazon Prime, Disney. I mean, there's just a snapshot of some of our global partners. And then obviously we have regional partners because some of these brands don't necessarily or can't necessarily activate uh, or need the awareness globally. So, you know, a great example is is Treasury Wine Estates, a big brand out of Australia. They're partnered with us just for the Asian region to grow that brand throughout Asia to our Asian fan base. We then break out our sports betting partners internationally because, you know, there's not one brand that can activate globally right now. So we geo-target and activate a whole host of different sports betting partners around the world. So that's a very quick snapshot of, of what it looks like. But, you know, in short, a host of global partners like you see in Formula One and, and FIFA and that sort of thing. And then we, we break it down into, into regional partners around the world. You've spoken a couple of times already about the growth of UFC. You've been there since 2018. It's around about five years. How have you seen the partnerships portfolio mature during that time of growth and since you've been there? As you said, I've been in this particular role for, for five years. And then three years prior to that, uh, I was actually consulting to the UFC with, a, with an agency over there called Bastion. And we had the rights to represent the UFC in, in APAC. So really, it goes back eight years where I've seen, in my time, the sponsorship portfolio from a revenue standpoint has increased fivefold in, in that amount of time. And, you know, just anecdotally, we used to go out and you'd have to convince people to even take a call on the UFC or, or take a meeting and, and try and educate on, on what it was, who it was, and all that sort of stuff. Fast forward to today and... You know, we're partnered with some of the biggest brands in the world. The phone is actually starting to ring, which is a huge, uh, a huge difference to, to what it was. And, you know, we're now seeing global partners on a level that you'll see in Formula One, in FIFA, in the Premier League, all of those big global sports. We now have partners at that level, which, you know, eight years ago was, was nowhere near the case. So there's been a, a huge maturity and that's down to, Obviously, the growth of the sport, the education of the sport, and then you know, don't forget things like the acquisition 
um, from Endeavor, really putting us on the mainstream, having all of those resources to to run like a legitimate global sport and business. As you mentioned, over those eight years, the sport has grown fivefold. Obviously, the sport's growing popularity plays some part in that success with your partnerships portfolio. But what specifically has the organization focused on outside of riding the wave of that growing popularity to help achieve partnerships growth? I think this even goes back to, you know, when, when Dana first bought the UFC, right, in 2001 with the two Fatita brothers, you know, it's the famous story. They paid $2 million for basically three letters and an old octagon um, back in 2001. Their whole uh, business plan from there was to run towards regulation. Pre-2001, it was a sideshow. It was underground. You know, the sport couldn't get on TV. It couldn't even get regulated in, in a lot of states in the US. So Dana's vision from there on was to legitimize this thing, bring in weight classes, um, a unified set of rules. Obviously, wherever the events were held, it was under an athletic commission. So it was just, everything was all about legitimacy. And I think you pair that with the stories of the athletes and you see what the success that Formula One has had with, with Drive to Survive and recently to de France with, with Unchained. I love the fact that, you know, way back when, that, that is exactly what Dana did with the UFC. The, the first reality series, The Ultimate Fighter, um, took cameras, a house full of fighters all competing for a UFC contract, right, at the end of the series. Now, what that simply did, and Dana's spoken about this all the time, it took, you know, instead of just watching two people compete in the octagon and fight, which is interesting, don't get me wrong, once you let the audience in, let them learn about the athlete, you know, that single parent who's out there trying to fight to put food on the table or, or all these stories of every one of these athletes, that was the, the step change, right? That's what the Ultimate Fighter Season 1 did. And then from there, I mean, if, if anyone or, you know, it's pretty easy to look up YouTube. You look at all the stuff we do in the lead up to every event. It's the stories. It's the content. It's behind the scenes. And I think what the business does with that from a partnership standpoint, you know, that, that that's where the buy-in is because it's not just about combat. It's about so much more than that. And I think that's what I've loved it and, and it's been great for us on the, on the partnership side of the business. It's a really interesting point you make there because my wife's English. I'm Australian. Australia play England in the FIFA Women's World Cup semi-final uh, in a couple of days. We watched the content of the Matildas documentary on Disney as a family, and that's all about telling the stories of the athletes. And so you feel more connected. You know more about the athletes. You're invested in the emotions that they're invested in around sport and all the pressures of life and families and living away from home and all that sort of stuff to the point where my wife probably uh, shouldn't say this in a recording, but said, I think I'm a little bit leaning towards the Matildas rather than England. And it is, it is a direct, direct outcome from being connected to the stories of the Matildas, which probably would happen if she was living in England at the moment. But the content, and as you said, bringing those stories to life really does make a huge difference and it becomes really attractive to sponsors, right? It really does. And I think we, we do a couple of different, um, and we have done this for a long time, we do UFC countdown, right, in the lead up to a big event, which is a one-hour um, 
show just breaking down the athletes. If there's an athlete from Brazil, it goes back to their to their home. It speaks to the family. Like you can't not get engaged with this type of content. There's that. And then during the event week, we have this thing called UFC Embedded, where every day during that week, we release a eight to 10 minute episode, literally just following the athletes around. Like not doing groundbreaking things, but people love it. You know, and when you, you know, you're just showing their diet and how they're making weight and how, you know, they might've brought their family across from Australia to be with them during that preparation. Like by the time that Saturday night rolls around and you know, you know, all of the athletes on the card, where they've come from, it just makes the, makes the event so much more engaging and our partners love that. And as part of our partnerships, content plays a huge role. Like they, they want authenticity, engagement, with, with all sorts of content and, and we can provide that. So yes, it's uh, it's a big part of the business. Yeah. And I find it really interesting that those pieces of content that we consume help then feed into the conversations we have with our, our friends and family and work colleagues around the sports that we're engaged with. So I think you're hundred percent on the right track. You'd have some pretty interesting, maybe unique assets to sell into your partnerships. What's Something that comes to mind that is unique to UFC is really cool that you can share with us that maybe other people don't have access to be able to sell to partners. There's a lot. And I think from a commercial standpoint, and like I've, I've worked across a lot of other sports um, in the past, and what is so unique about the UFC is we're building it as, as this thing grows. You know, like there's not this, um, you know, the way that it's always been done or, you know, that's how we've always done it for us. Like, for example, at the beginning of 2022, it's one of those things where we realized there was no clock for the athletes within the octagon to realize how much time was left. And that is such an important part of, you, you, we used to see the athletes sometimes look up at the big screen and go, okay, I've got 20 seconds to last this rap. So on our team, we're like, what can we do? So we built the timing system, which is a three-point LED system around the octagon, um, took it to DraftKings. They loved it, obviously feeding into what they do and, and real-time betting. So they now are the official ownership of the time around the octagon. Now, that's just something that came from the partnerships team and is now an inherent part of, of the sport, which is unbelievable, right? And that's, you know, that's now seen at every single event. If you watch any of it, um, you will now see the, the time system. The other one is... You look at a lot of sports like the Premier League and, and others that have the, the front of shirt. When we recently um, brought our fight kit, our athlete fight kit with our partner Venet, we realized we don't have a partner. So as part of our uh, pitch to uh, crypto.com, we went big. Do you want to be basically the, the front of shirt partner for the UFC? Again, you'll now see that at every event. So there's just a couple of examples, but the point is, when we have good ideas and our partner wants to do something, we have the opportunity to table it. It's uh, There's not the, the red tape, so to speak. You spoke earlier about how it used to be really hard to get in front of brands. You had to educate them about what UFC was and is. And so on, on that same track, what's something or maybe a couple of things you find brands wrongly assume still about UFC and what it might be like partnering with you? I think so much. I think it's like anything, right? When you, 
if you don't do a deep dive into a sport or, or anything, the perception might be, hey, it's just two athletes just belting each other in an octagon. It's not until we really educate on the rules, you know, the history, the safety, you know, the, the worst injury we've had in 30 years is a broken leg. You know, I've played in a lot of sports where there's been a whole lot worse. Uh, we talk about our performance institutes, which we have a 30,000 foot facility, square foot facility in Las Vegas, 90,000 square foot facility in Shanghai, China. We're just about to open in, in Mexico City. How we're bringing sports science to the sport. All of these things at, and the amount of time we've done it and the legitimacy of the sport is what I think once you show brands under the hood and you take them to an event or you bring them to the Performance Institute, it's a totally different conversation. Nothing doesn't happen overnight, but we're seeing it in the last couple of years, tremendous growth in those, you know, much more blue chip categories of brands finally realizing what the sport's all about. What's your approach to identifying and prospecting new opportunities? How do you go about it yourself? What's your approach? There's obviously a number of different approaches, but if you look at our, our fundamentals, we have the, I don't want to say luxury, but we have the advantage of our, part, our ownership being Endeavor, global sports entertainment powerhouse listed on the New York Stock Exchange, huge company, and obviously some, some other big news coming down the pipe of, of another acquisition. But So we have a full analytics department. Endeavor Analytics uh, is one thing, and then obviously all of the inherent knowledge of working with Wimbledon, the Rugby World Cups, the NFL, all of these other sports. So what we do as a first point, uh, and we, we typically do this at the beginning of each year and then it's updated as the year goes on, but like anyone, you'd identify the categories that we do not yet have partners. Uh, we work with Endeavor Analytics to understand as much as we can about that category, um, what these brands are looking for, the top 20 to 30 players, and then we mirror that with all of the analytics on our side and all of our data, our audience, consumer behavior, and we have all of that data ready to go so that when our sales team around the world are reaching out to these brands, it's an educated sell. We're understanding who they are, what they're looking for, and then you know we're trying to build a project together. We don't take an asset. like We don't go to the market and say, we have front of short and an octagon canvas position here's the price. We never sell like that. We understand a client's needs and build a project around them. Data's designed to give us insights, help us make decisions, obviously with more information, but also easier. How long does that process take for you there at UFC around marrying that data together and, and then identifying opportunities? How long does that sort of process take? Not, not the conversations once you make contact, but the lead up to it. It all depends on the on the category, really. Some of the data is a lot easier to come by when you look at some of the big categories, whether it's automotive, insurance, finance, a lot of these categories. But what we're seeing now is an evolution of some of these new categories, whether it's Web3, e-commerce. Like there's so many different categories and brands in the space. So that might take a little longer, and it's not as easy to identify. But look, our analytics team is brilliant. And oftentimes, within a few weeks, we get a very detailed overview of a category, buying behavior, where the offices are, key markets, key regions, you know. And then on the UFC side, we have a full data and analytics team constantly updating 
outdated because you know our fan base is growing week on week. We literally have to update our presentations every week because the numbers are changing. So that is an ongoing process. And then the analytics team, as I, as I mentioned before, are first class, and we often get things back within a week or two. Speaking of the demographics, as we know, the sport's only about 30 years old. It's young. It attracts a young demographic of fan. Some brands might still see it as a bit of a, a wait-and-see proposition. Do you find that brands are a little apprehensive at all to partner with a, a young sport compared to a more traditional sport? Because listening to you talk about the portfolio, it, it's it, it's starting to boast, or, or it absolutely does boast, a, a lot of traditional categories, but not all of them that we would expect to see in sport yet. Yeah, I think so, and I think... What's happening now is that the numbers are just becoming undeniable, right? And everyone's trying to target, a lot of brands are trying to target that young audience, 18 to 44, highly engaged through content. And a lot of sports have had to adjust their strategies to fit within this within this mold. Whereas the beauty for us is our sport has grown up through the age of social media. A lot of our engagement with our fans, the way that data will announce different bouts around the world and even key matchups like we don't have a season. So when we look at our event calendar, oftentimes, obviously the matchmakers, Dana, Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard, they're putting on the absolute best fights to be the absolute best parts of the world. So we can adjust, move and adapt our schedule based on who's available, the fan interest, all these sort of things, which is very, very unique. Um, but again, to answer your question, yes, the sport is becoming undeniable and the fact that we can reach that audience means that almost any brand across any category, um, it might not be the most blue chip within that category, but there are brands within that space who, who want to work with us. How does that moving calendar impact your planning of activations with brands? It really depends. And that's why we, we do a lot of, we're moving towards a lot of global partnerships. You take a, a brand like crypto.com, who's available in nearly all of the regions that that we take our sport, that's quite straightforward because they're trying to grow their uh, consumer base in Brazil, in Australia, in the US. So they work around us. Obviously, if it's just one regional partner, um, you know, take Paris, for example. We are going to Paris on the 2nd of September, Fight Night Paris. We do one event there a year at the moment, and we have three to four local regional partners it's all about preparation. You know, it's making sure that we could activate physically around that event. But we always tell our partners, and, and they know this, that whilst the live event is the marquee tentpole time in your, in your region, you're partnering with the UFC. We do 43 live events per year. Um, so yes, we leverage off that one event in your region, but the content, the social, the digital, the athletes, everything can be nonstop all year round. You gave a good rundown before about how you go about educating potential partners, but I just wanted to circle back around to that point because I'm curious about what the first step and focus is of that education because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of get the impression that if, if a brand doesn't get hooked on that initial journey, because as you said, it can take a little bit of time to go through that process, what do you lead with so it captures their imagination in that education process? I always start with, you know, how much they know about the UFC because it's so, it's so surprising. Sometimes 
we'll be talking to a brand that, and we'll always put it out there. Look, how much do you know? And from nowhere, someone will just come in and go, I've, I've been watching since UFC one or, uh, the closet fans or never cease to, uh, never cease to amaze me. But look, if someone has a very elementary view or, or knowledge of the sport, I'd love to take it right back and just really tell that story of, of the UFC because it's unparalleled compared to nearly any other sport. I start right back at, at UFC one when, you know, we've got some great imagery of the, the weight class. There's literally 40 kilos difference in weight class. One guy's wearing a boxing glove. The other guy's wearing a pair of runners. I think the octagon blew out. It, it was just crazy. And then to take that story to when Dana purchased the UFC to running towards that regulation and some of those watermarks of these huge monumental events within the UFC, whether it's bringing in the women's division and Ronda Rousey both basically bursting us into a whole new era of, of mainstream mixed martial arts to the acquisition that I've spoken of, to then our biggest broadcast partner being Disney and ESPN in the US and our continued growth and listing on the New York Stock once I take through all of that and our team takes them through all of that, it really gives them such a better understanding of who we are as a business and a sport and obviously feeding in, you know, a lot of the stats and, and numbers and what we've been able to do in that short amount of time. We know, as you've outlined, that storytelling is part of UFC, particularly in the lead up to an event. Storytelling is also an important part of sponsorships. How do you activate brands into the storytelling that UFC undertakes? We obviously look for authenticity with what that brand is looking to achieve. I mean, what's a recent example? I mean, a lot of our gaming partners, you know, we work with some of the biggest gaming studios in the world, whether it's Activision, Blizzard, Bandai Namco, list goes on and on. So what we do is, you know, we sit down with some of these, these brands and we go through our roster of athletes. Who are the gamers? Who are the diehard gamers who take their console or their PC when they travel? We then facilitate the introduction to those athletes. We then have the athlete obviously have that game, use that game during some of that content I mentioned at the start, whether it's countdown, embedded. And the fans pick up on that. And I, I got to say, like our fans, they, they're ruthless. Like if you try and work with something that's inauthentic or is, is just simply an ad, it just doesn't work. So we've really got to make sure that all of our partners and what we do through activation and even all that storytelling has to be authentic. And I use that that one example there, but we've had a lot of other um, partners in the past. Crypto.com is another one. Obviously, they're trying to mainstream the use of crypto around the world. So through that, we brought in a, a bonus system where crypto would bonus the athletes that were fan voted in Bitcoin that they could cash in, all that sort of stuff. So again, it's always just about telling the story in a legitimate way um, with our partners and, and weave it into our sport. Dana White likes to push boundaries and also the structure of UFC, the organisation, it isn't bound to long-standing stakeholders and traditional ways of doing things like sports that are 100, 150 years old are. Do you think that helps and allows you to be nimble with your partnerships at all? I do. I definitely do. And you, you mentioned Dana, and one quick story about, about Dana. So obviously during COVID, we all know sports went dark. We all thought it was the uh, 
the end of sport as we knew it. And and look, I'll never forget. It was literally a week in to to everything being shut down around the world, and Data held a full company call and basically said, "Look, two things. One is no one's going. No, I'm not letting go of one single person in this whole organisation. And two, we will be the first sport back in the world." And he said, take a little bit of time, but be ready to go because uh, these two things are, are happening. And to his credit, both things happened. And we're able to start events quicker than anybody on earth. We we partnered with Abu Dhabi, who's a huge partner of ours, the Dep- Department of Culture and Tourism. We turned Yazza Island into Fight Island. And from a partnership standpoint, we delivered every contracted asset to every one of our partners during 2020. And not only that, some of the numbers I mentioned at the top of of the podcast around our fan base, we went into the the pandemic with 340 million fans. And by the end of it, we had about 650 million. Just down to the fact that because our content was out on ESPN, all of our global partners, we gained a whole new fan base. Those who'd never watched UFC or never even thought about it, obviously started watching during that time and we've managed to keep them. So, you know, his leadership during that point in time um, was unbelievable. And then it is a reason why the UFC where it is today. That structure and attitude is clearly an advantage to you, UFC. How do brands respond to that? Do they find that it's useful in, in activating partnerships or, or is it just part and parcel of what they need to do? No, they love it. I mean, the access and, and the involvement with data and our partners is, is first class. And I know that not every sport has that, right? You take the NFL or, or some of these other major sports, the commissioner, these guys aren't too involved when it comes to, to partnerships. But Dana has been phenomenal with our partners and oftentimes you know there's there's sometimes where we actually gets involved i mean there's a great uh there was a great partnership we did i think it was back in 2018 poker stars which is a, a big poker company um out of out of the uk and now globally during the recent acquisition but as part of their activation they had an idea we said look go away come back to us with your biggest and best idea and and we'll see what we can do so their idea was this whole campaign around be the boss, right? So through their online poker game, you had the opportunity, I think, to win this gold octagon chip. And if you won that, you could be the boss of the UFC for one day. And as part of that, we took this to data. He goes, I love it. Absolutely love it. So, and the content can still be found uh, found online. But basically, this guy who won the gold octagon chip flown to Vegas, private jet, lands, he gets a suit fitting with Bruce Buffer, who's our iconic um, announcer in the octagon. He goes to the UFC office. We scratched off Dana's nameplate on the office. He sits in the sits in the chair, uh, and Dana was all on board for this, which was great. He then goes to the the fights, which were in uh, California at the time. Walks into the octagon, and as part of Dana's process, when someone wins the championship, he puts the belt around the champion. This guy Derek gets to put the belt around the champion, he's sitting in the celebrity rut. Unbelievable campaign, but just a, a testament to, you know, a big idea, a great partner, and data got involved, and we pulled off a great activation. I wonder how 
much Dana being on board was the fact that he got a day off. <laughs> Dana never takes days off. <laughs> I had a feeling that might be your response. You clearly have a lot of flexibility in the organisation. Then add to that the advantage of being a sport that is always on. So I think there's around 40 events per year. And as you said earlier, you don't have an off-season like traditional sports do. We know that talking to brands in the early days of a potential partnership is about understanding what they want to achieve with their marketing and how you can partner to help them achieve that. But with so much flexibility and brands being open to ideas, how do you kind of get started with those conversations considering what a brand wants can be quite broad when they put it in front of you and and also what you can do for them can be quite broad. You said earlier there in your previous response, you said you go away and tell us your biggest and, and boldest idea. So how do you sort of narrow that conversation so you can actually get started on that track? I think the the experience our team has got having, you know, executed a number of partnerships and, and knowing what works with our fan base, what works with our sport. When we now sit in front of a brand and we listen and we understand and we get all as much as we can from them on, on what they're trying to achieve, naturally we know how to marry that up with what we can deliver, right? Uh, but you're right. Like it's such a nonstop, no season, enormous amount of broadcast integration, huge social media, athletes that we can work with, unlimited content that we can build with these partners. It is very broad, but I see that as a huge advantage. And, you know, our experience in this space over many years, as I said before, allows us to marry up what we know works with the UFC fans and the platform with what a lot of these brands are trying to achieve. Some UFC athletes have launched their own brands. For example, Conor McGregor has proper number 12 Irish whiskey. Obviously, a strong marketing element is the the McGregor name, the McGregor brand promoting it. What what does the framework or, or guidelines look like for athletes, UFC athletes, wanting to sign their own deals or, or launch their own brands, but then it could possibly conflict with existing UFC partners? So it's much like, every other sport right like uh, our athletes can obviously do whatever they like partner with with any brand and, and and do whatever they like and again like most sports it's when the ufc ip is used that is reserved for, for ufc partners only um and obviously with all the inherent value in the brand the octagon the championship belts all of that is is ufc ip so the ufc official partners get to use all of that IP. And we obviously facilitate a lot, almost all of our partners want to work with our athletes and we love to promote that, help that process as well. Um, but to answer your question, if an athlete wants to do a deal with another brand, that is absolutely fine. It's just when the UFC IP comes into it, that is reserved for, for current UFC partners. I want to circle Back to the conversation around data, because obviously data plays an important role in partnerships and any business as a whole these days. It almost goes without saying. We've heard plenty of times about how sports have used data in their partnerships. You spoke earlier about how you used data to identify opportunities. Do you think your use of data as it relates to partnerships, do you think it differs much compared to other sports? I don't think so. I mean, it's a combination of 
you know, the data I spoke of before paired with all of the other stuff, right? Like all of our social media engagement, ticket sales, broadcast. So you overlay both of those things. But look, I, I think at this point, a lot of the big sports are, are looking at their fan bases and fan behavior very similarly, I would say. I love asking this next question because we quite often get really honest, raw answers from the guests. Can you share a time or an example when a partnership wasn't going smoothly and you had to address it? What was happening? How did you get through it? Look, I think like a lot of other sports, the most challenging time for not just one, but many partners was at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, when a lot of these brands didn't know what was going to happen in their own businesses. We didn't know for a time if we were able to deliver events and deliver their assets, so on and so forth. So I think for, for us, and I guess I reckon this question would be the same for, for a lot of other sports around, but that was the most difficult time I've had in, in sport in navigating that with our partners. But I guess that's where the trust and relationship came in. You know, we, off the back of what I said about data before and, and, and being the first to come back, whilst all of the assets weren't exactly as they were contracted, right? Like if you're a UFC, uh, US partner and those were to be events delivered in the US and those were to be, all of that obviously had to be shifted and we were delivering events through Fight Island. So I wouldn't say one specific brand on this one, but it was having all of those conversations working individually. Some brands needed to take time off and have some, all of that we had to manage, we had to handle, um, and look, testament to the business to deliver the 43 live events in 2020 for all of our broadcast partners, for all of our sponsorship partners, ended up being an amazing result. So without one specific example, it was honestly about 30 different partners during that period of time that was the most difficult that, that I've seen. How proactive were you when it happened? Because I remember... Everyone just thought, oh, this will just be a couple of weeks and then it'll die down and then it dragged on and it dragged on and then different regions of the world reacted differently and some opened up and then closed again and some really didn't close down at all and others were, were stayed shut down for very long periods of time. Were you the organisation that made the first move or did the brand start coming to you? No, we made the first move and... Because behind closed doors, we knew the, the Fight Island project, and that was going to be our first foray into the bubble. It feels funny to say that, talk <laughs> about the bubble these days, but no. So once we knew that was happening, and then really, and quite simply, the strategy was, where can we hold events? That's where we'll go. And I think that was a real advantage for us. It's not like we had a home ground in a particular city that if that city was locked down, we were at the mercy of that local government. I mean, you heard Dana talk about this in a number of interviews. It's like, right, where's open? We'll go there. So we started with Abu Dhabi. Then we went to places like Florida because they opened up a lot quicker with other states in the US. So then we go, we go to Jacksonville. We do events there. Houston, great. Texas, we go there. And then slowly but surely, not to mention uh, the facility we've got in, in Las Vegas called the Apex, which luckily, very luckily, we built... Think of it like a, a TV studio for combat sports. We'd literally completed the build on that around 12 months before COVID hit. So then we're doing events in Vegas, basically in our office. We're just up the road. So the strategy was simply, where can we go? That's where we will go. 
and then the advantage of having athletes all over the world just added the ability to make decisions quickly, which you've alluded to a couple of times there, just meant that we could move, adapt, deliver events, keep the whole thing rolling. So very unique. A lot of other organisations, it's really interesting to listen to you speak like that because I, I wanted to just go back and touch on the on the content and the storytelling and, and, and taking us inside the lives of the athletes because a lot of peak organisations for sports don't do a lot of that. They leave it to the individual clubs and teams to do it. I'm sure it was an advantage for you at that time because we know that your partnerships aren't just about the actual event. It's about the things that happen in the lead up and, and in between to the next event. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes, it is. And to get back to the unique nature of the UFC, it's you've always got to think of it like the AFL and the clubs all wrapped up into one. Like it, it's quite unique. And you go to events all over the world and of course, the fans love the athletes and they'll support a particular athlete, but a lot of the times they just want to go to the fights. A lot of people wear UFC merchandise. It's like you don't see a, there's not a lot of fans that are going to the NRL just with a big NRL jumper and hat. It's, it's, it's very unique and, you know, testament to that, a lot of the times when we go on sale, we sell out because people want to come to the UFC. You're right. They know the quality. They know the level of competition. They know what we're all about. That's what they're coming to see. Um, and obviously within that is favorite athletes and matchups, of course. That is that is paramount. But the brand itself is what the fans love. And then hey, with that, that's what that's what our brands and partners are partnering with. Nick, as we begin to wrap this up, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't give you the opportunity to spruik an upcoming event. Tell us all about UFC 293, which is in Sydney, Australia. That is correct. Yes, I cannot wait to uh, to come back home for that. So UFC 293, September 10, on Sunday, September 10, local time, Kudos Bank Arena. You know, we're in Australia in Perth, Western Australia in, in February of this year. Unbelievable event, headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky. But this event in Sydney, we went on sale and sold out in 13 minutes. So that's a if that's not a sign of how popular the sport is right now, and that was before we announced the main event. How many people is that that sells out for in 13 minutes? 20,000 there, give or take, in kudos back, because we can fill the floor, you know, with, with four seating. So Israel Adesanya, who's arguably the biggest name in the sport, the face of the UFC, uh, trains out of New Zealand, will be fighting Sean Strickland for the middleweight championship. That is the headline of the card. And then all the way top to bottom, we have Australian talent taking on international stars. So huge event, sold out in minutes. And uh, and this is all off the back of two major announcements. You know, our long-term deal with the New South Wales government to bring four major pay-per-view events in the next four years. And our recent announcement of our new deal with Foxtel. Foxtel KO, all of our content, including pay-per-views, will be exclusively uh, with Foxtel. So a great show of commitment from Foxtel, the New South Wales government, the sport's on fire down under. Great things happening. Wish you all the best for that event. Nick, it's been a great chat. If people wanted to get in touch, connect with you, find out more about what UFC is doing in the sponsorship space, what can they do? Where can they go? 
follow me on LinkedIn if you like. I mean, I can I can connect with you there. But you know, based on our sports, all our major social media channels, which are geo targeted, UFC, ANZ, all of our platforms there, you will see all of our updates, our upcoming events, athletes who are competing, and and all the latest content. So I would say follow us on social. Find me on LinkedIn. Great chat. Nick Smith, Vice President, Global Partnerships. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Ultimate Fighting Championship. Thanks very much, mate. Super interesting chat, that one. I'm a passionate sports fan, but I don't have a lot of bandwidth to follow more sports more closely. So I've I've never really been a huge or, or an avid fan of UFC, but I'm one of those people that's always kept an eye on it in the news. I read the articles, I watch the highlights, all those sorts of things, etc., Clearly, they're doing some amazing stuff. So it was a real privilege to be able to hear from Nick in this episode and learn more. And I'm going to take more of an interest in UFC going forward. You can connect with Nick on LinkedIn. Just search for Nick Smith. That's S-M-I-T-H. And of course, you can learn more about UFC at UFC.com. Finally, it was great to be able to connect with some new peeps, Mike Cocken and Jack Gillibrand, and give them a shout out. So if you're listening and you aren't connected with me on LinkedIn, or maybe you are, but you haven't had a shout out, please jump on, connect, send me a message. I'd love to hear from you and what you're up to. I really do love hearing from the listeners. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. And I will organize a shout out for you. That's a wrap for episode 126. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.